Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of La Onda. I really do appreciate everyone that's taking the time to listen. I know it's been a minute since uh, I've put anything out, but I'm I'm back and ready to do another one. I've got a very special guest with me today, a gentleman by the name of Amos Lozano. I got a quick little write-up I wrote about him. Uh, Amos is a young entrepreneur with big ambitions who is currently cultivating something very unique for himself and for the San Antonio community. Uh, he's the owner of the famous juice company, whose inception began back in 2014 with only $29. Uh, his soon-to-be-finished new location will be San Antonio's first Hemp Crete Juicery, uh, which will offer a variety of juices and smoothies, as well as some containing raw, locally-sourced cannabis juice. Uh, he is also the owner of MJ's, which specializes in sustainable hemp products, including pre-rolls and apparel, and more to come. Uh, Amos' story and journey has definitely intrigued me, and I'm excited to dive in a little deeper into the mind of this highly motivated individual. Amos, welcome. How's it going, brother? Oh, I appreciate good, you yeah. uh, having me on. Yeah, man. How about uh, to start off, we'll give you a little bit of uh, applause. <laughs> Dope. Uh, Amos is here, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the warm welcome. Yeah, man. All right. Did you hear yourself okay on that end there? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we're good to go. Cool. All right, Amos, we'll get right into it, dude. Um, I really do appreciate you doing this. Um, you're, I honestly can't really remember exactly what drew me to your Instagram account, but I remember way back when it caught my attention. It was probably around the time that there was definitely an increase in us seeing people that were in the CBD business. You saw people doing you know, the drops, the uh, gummies, all sorts of stuff, but you were doing something a little different. Like when I first saw, I saw you were, obviously you were marketing and pre-rolls to the public, you know, and you were selling them and it was just some, it was what you were doing. It was definitely something that was at first kind of mind blowing, you know, cause you, sure. it, in Texas, you didn't, wouldn't think that it'd be something you'd see as a, as a business. And, and then I remember going one day to, to Burleson and you had a table set up there and I remember walking past and there was a bunch of people around and I remember seeing these huge jars on your table that were just filled with pre-rolls and then like cannabis flour. And it was obviously again, just mind blowing to be out somewhere that wasn't in someone's privacy of their own home mm-hmm. and seeing you know just a jar of flour which is cool but like i said it, w- it definitely made me have a little more attention to what you were doing and it made me want to dive a little deeper so i started following you a little closer um just to see what you were into and you were really taking the time to educate the public I think uh, it's one of the things that seems like you really were spending a lot of time on and you were just being an advocate for changing the perception of cannabis, mm-hmm. which I think for a long time has had this, you know, it's still in prohibition. So there's still this stigma. There's still this little cloud, you know, that I think we're trying to get out of. Mm-hmm. Um, so for yourself, uh, what, why, why choose this? Why, why cannabis? Why hemp? Why what drew you to it yeah for sure so i'll give you the the quick short version it was because uh after i graduated high school like we were talking about the identity crisis Mm -hmm. episode i had on my podcast after that or kind of during that point um i discovered the real reason why cannabis is illegal Mm -hmm. and it really doesn't have a lot to do with marijuana or getting high at all uh, it really had more to do with the industrial aspects of the plant. And uh, at that point, I had never even really heard of industrial hemp before. And I just started doing a deep dive into the history of how and why and when cannabis became illegal and what were the roots of all of the rumors, both good and bad. Um, where did these come from? right where's where's the data where's the science where's the studies what's the root of these things mm-hmm. um and if there are no data and studies well at least w- where was the story started um right. whether it was good or bad and in that journey uh i discovered that the real reason why cannabis is illegal is not because marijuana is a dangerous drug but because industrial hemp is such a useful uh industrial product uh in that it can make any type of apparel basically anything made from cotton can be made from cannabis hemp Um, almost anything made from wood can be made from cannabis hemp Mm -hmm. Uh, just about anything petroleum based can be made from cannabis hemp including fuel and plastics Um, anything made from paper can be made from hemp and so I discovered those uses and then I discovered not only are those uses um, possible 
Uh, but we actually built the United States of America on industrial hemp. It was required by law in the original 13 colonies that if you own land, you had to grow industrial hemp for Great Britain and for the colonies because the economy was so dependent upon it. And you could pay your taxes in hemp. And the original draft of the Declaration of Independence was on hemp. The original flag was stitched on hemp fibers. And it goes... Like, I could talk for hours about all yeah. the different facts and history of the plant um, and how it established our our country. And when I discovered this, it enraged me. And that ignited a fire in me over 10 years ago that continues to be the source of my passion and inspiration behind um, teaching my communities, uh, you know, here in San Antonio and South Texas in general, that uh, the core of my, my mission and my message is is cannabis is more than just CBD and THC. Yeah. Um, that it's so much more than just getting high, um, which is a lot of what the stigma is around. And that it's also so much more than uh, even medical marijuana and even CBD, you know. Yeah. And so I really like to not just talk about it. I like to show people by actually doing things. Yeah, man. And I think that's really what struck me is that, you know, most of the time when you see people that are proponents of marijuana and hemp or like that, it's it's mainly from the aspect of like, you know, they, they're talking about the high not being that big of a thing or whatever. And, you know, and that that's its own, you know, conversation. But there really is so much more that could be done with it. And in this time where we have so much of a struggle in our economy, I mean, why not try to open up all these businesses? Why not create this industry? Why not? do all this and give people a better opportunity for a better life you know i mean that mm -hmm. to me that's just it's one of the things that i feel have always been you know a truth that for whatever reason isn't being talked about more but i've i think that's probably what gave me the attention towards you man as you you're taking the steps you're you're even though there's not a path you're helping create that path you know and you're helping sure. guide people along it and if they have questions you you seem to be a very open source to that you, you want to have those conversations you know and that, that's something that is very, very intriguing to me. Um, so, I guess to there's a lot of things I want to kind of hit on in this conversation. I know we don't have a ton of time, uh, but let's start to. I know you right now. It seems like your main focus is probably the the juice companies, because you're doing that. You're creating the new uh, the new building that's going to be made out of hempcrete. Uh, tell me a little bit more about hempcrete. Like, is it all hemp? Is the entire building made of hemp? Sorry, is the yeah. We're, we're along a busy street. We've got some stuff going on out there. You yeah. probably hear it. It'll pass. It'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> this too shall pass. Maybe. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, like like I said, as far as the hemp structure, that intrigued me. I didn't know that it could you could make essentially a concrete type substance, you know, out of hemp. So mm -hmm. the building you're making right now, is it, is it completely hemp? Or was mm -hmm. it, there was there wood structure? How, what, what goes into it? Yeah, so the way hempcrete works, well, first I'll start with what is hempcrete, right? A lot of people hear that term and they're like, what is that? Yeah. And uh, when, you, when you really think about what the word is, it's hemp and then crete like concrete mm -hmm. because that's what it is it's a concrete that is using the hemp fibers uh as a part of its material mm -hmm. uh and it's just three um ingredients and it's the hemp herd and the herd comes from the inner uh part of the stock of the hemp plant looks kind of like uh, little pieces of wood chips almost okay. um, so you got hemp herd is the first ingredient second ingredient is lime uh which is also the same ingredient in, in like regular concrete porter concrete and things like that it's basically ground up limestone okay and then water that's it those are the only three ingredients that go into hempcrete all three are organic and biodegradable so you have a natural uh wall or, or building when you build out of it and uh, the way it works is you build the the frame of the structure basically the same as you would build any structure you start with the studs and the framing mm -hmm. um, and then usually what happens next in construction is they'll come in and uh, they'll do you know first they'll put in their their um, insulation like the pink you know mm -hmm. uh, matting insulation or spray foam insulation depending and then they'll drywall it on the inside and on the outside they'll put stucco or brick it or whatever and then put a layer of um, forget what they call it. it's like a plastic film that's mm -hmm. supposed to create like a barrier right instead of doing all that what you do is you mix up this hempcrete and ends up being like kind of the consistency of like wet sand a okay. little bit so it's it's a different consistency than like 
when you think about concrete and you you think about the you know the trucks with the mixing the mixers. yeah it's and they pour it out you can't really you can pour it out but it's not so smooth the way that is it's more like sand than it is like um than it is like a free-flowing type of concrete and so what you do is you put up some uh, plywood kind of like how you would uh the drywall and then you pack in that cavity okay. you, you pour and dump in with buckets um the hempcrete and then you pack it in by hand with like you can use your hands or you can use like a, a piece of two by four sure. something like that and uh, that method is called the cast in place method okay and so they've been building with hemp for about 20 to 30 years in france and in the uk and so there's a lot of data coming out of there and that's actually where our hemp herd and our lime came from it came from france okay wow. and um the reason why you'd want to build out of hemp a bunch of different reasons a few um to touch on is firstly in the uk and france where they've been building uh you know anywhere from residential homes to tiny homes to full-on 20,000 square foot um, warehouses um, they've seen anywhere between a 40 to 60 percent decrease in their electricity bills because it's a far better insulator um, so the our values are dependent upon how thick the wall is um, but the same thickness of a traditional wall will outperform um, the traditional building materials wow. and so one reason is that it helps save you electricity because it's such a good insulative material sure um, and part of the reason why it is is because of the hemp herd that's really where the magic happens the hemp herd is very light and airy like I mentioned it kind of looks like wood chips but it, it has a lower density um, so it's it's very light and uh, what it does is it, it traps um, the air inside of its particles as well as inside of the hempcrete itself. And that is what helps create that barrier between the temperature and, um, you know, the air insulates versus something like, you know, steel that is very insulative. It's going to transfer, they call those thermal bridges and structures. It's going to transfer the temperature from the inside to the outside Yeah. where the hemp's going to do the opposite. It's going to prevent the temperature from traveling through because it's going to get stuck in the air, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, so that's one of the major things. Uh, another one is that hempcrete, hemp in general, is naturally antibacterial and antimicrobial. Uh, a really big problem that people don't even really think about or know about is uh, there's actually a term for it, but I forget what it is right now. Um, basically, our buildings harbor mold and uh, bacteria and all kinds of things once the moisture gets into the walls. Sure. Like I was talking about that film and new builds, they build that to keep moisture out. Because if the moisture gets in, it starts to uh, create mold and it also starts to rot the structure. Um, but it starts by molding first. And yeah. then that mold is circulating through your home and then you're living in that home for yeah. how many years, right? Who knows? Especially in older buildings like the building we're in now. Lots of mold uh, circulating through the air and that mold uh, contributes to things like very minor things like um, just the common cold. Or uh, it just depresses your immune system generally. So you might just have like um, allergy-like symptoms. You might have like tension asthma, headaches. that kind of thing. Yeah. Asthma, just these very minor things, which actually makes it very difficult to pinpoint that it's coming from the, from the building. Uh, yeah. and, it, and, you know, you go to the doctor and they just give you some, um, you know, basic cold and flu medicine or tell you to go to the store and just, you know, just you're going to get over this, right? But they yeah. can't tell you why you got that. It's kind of just like, oh, it just happens, right? People are realizing now that, uh, that, that it's coming from, uh, some of it is coming from the buildings that we live in. Which it's, is crazy, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's where we live, go home, sleep, where, spend the night. Where you yeah. raise your kids, you know? Yeah. So part of it is that uh, hemp will not mold because it's naturally antibacterial and antimicrobial. Uh, it doesn't mold and it actually absorbs moisture. So it's uh, what we call a breathable living wall. Uh, so if the humidity rises within the structure the wall will actually absorb the the humidity and regulate the humidity and then usually that's a bad thing right you don't want your traditional walls to get because yeah. then it's going to mold but yeah. with hemp it won't mold and then when it dries back out the humidity levels go back down let's say on a hot day and let's say it rained before and then it got humid it absorbs it then it got hot and dry the next week or the next day it will release that moisture back out and so it's a breathable does it living. expand like as um, it contains moisture? Not much. No, okay. no yeah. Um, it, it actually, in 
in the um, packing process, once it's packed, it contracts as it's curing. Um, and then that's where it actually leads me to my next point. Um, in that curing and drying process, it's actually sequestering carbon. And that's just a fancy way of saying that it's absorbing carbon out of the atmosphere. Uh, and so not only is hemp uh, carbon neutral, hempcrete, it's actually carbon negative, meaning it is consuming more CO2 out of the atmosphere than is being produced in the production of it. Interesting. Yeah, and, and there's two, at two stages is it doing that. First of all, in the growth cycle, when the hemp is growing out in the fields, right? Oh, yeah. Obviously, the plants, that's what they live off, right? Yeah. Plants live off CO2, but what people don't know is that cannabis actually absorbs uh, one of the highest amounts of CO2 per acre. Uh, for instance, in 19, I think it was 1916, the USDA did some research on hemp. And uh, out of that research, they concluded that uh, hemp absorbs three to four times the amount of CO2 per acre than trees do. And it produces four or five times the amount of paper pulp than trees do. And these are the types of things that I discovered. This is why I got so passionate about it, because not only has our government known about this, because some people will bring up like, because real quick, I have a deep distrust in our government mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons, but that mm -hmm. started with cannabis. And it started with cannabis because people will say things like, well, it has all these uses and it's sustainable and it's healthy and it's good, but maybe they just didn't know about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a valid point. But the thing is, they did know about it. Yeah. And the thing is, there's historical facts where we can actually look to our history, where our government actually embraced it. For instance, in 1942, the USDA launched a Hemp for Victory campaign where they temporarily allowed farmers to grow cannabis hemp because we needed it for World War II because Japan cut off our supply of industrial hemp and the Navy was dependent on hemp for ropes and uh, canvas and cordage and even food. We, are, we were actually feeding in energy bars hemp seeds to our, our soldiers in World War II. So hemp literally helped us win the war. It's an entire campaign. The United States government uh, gave uh, loans, they subsidized the industry, they set up factories, they taught farmers how to grow it, they gave them seed, and as soon as the war ended, they destroyed all the factories, they then made it illegal to grow it again, and they said that hemp only had a place as a wartime crop and not a peacetime crop. And then prior to that, I'm gonna go back to the 1916 study, it was a guy named Lister Dewey, he's the one that did the research on uh, hemp, and uh, so they known this whole time that there's been a more uh, sustainable and renewable source of paper uh, but they didn't switch to it being their main source why well because William Randolph Hearst he's the poster boy for propaganda if you go to any college journalism class you'll learn about yellow journalism which is the official term of propaganda and they use William Randolph Hearst as the example of yellow journalism because what he did is he he owned the largest newspaper chains in the early 20s and 30s he also owned the largest um, timber companies because the timber companies produced the the pulp for his paper for his newspapers uh, and so he uh, basically infiltrated the US government um, by being you know similar to what happens to the day today but on a whole nother level like a lobbyist of sorts sort of um, Basically, right, but yeah. but not back then. There wasn't official lobbyist and lobbying yet. Yeah. But basically, it was the informal version of just like you're my friend in business. But now you're getting into politics. Uh, and in in this case, his friend was um, Harry J. Anslinger, who became the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which later became the DEA. And Harry J. Anslinger, uh, his uncle was Andrew Mellon. Andrew Mellon was head of the United States Treasury, and he was also the um, primary investor in, or yeah, one of the investors in the DuPont Corporation. And then he also did business with uh, William Randolph Hearst. So all these guys are in business together. Yeah. And so um, he made sure through his newspaper chains that, uh, as well as his influence in the government, that they didn't get switched over. And then he spread propaganda through his newspapers. And that's largely where a lot of the misinformation and propaganda about cannabis uh, came from. And still to this day, it is, uh, you know, perpetuating a lot of people because he would say crazy things in his headlines, right? Like, um, it was like it was like racist stuff essentially right very very racist because yeah. obviously you know this is very racist times in the 20s yeah. but they he was blaming you know black jazz artists and uh mexican cartel type and gangs 
um, that they were high on this new, you know, marijuana that was making them crazy, making them wait, rape their white women. And, uh, you know, Harry J. Anslinger has direct quotes, like crazy quotes, where he would say things like, uh, marijuana makes a black man look a white man in the eye. Like, crazy things like that. Smoking one joint will make you want to kill your brother. Crazy shit like that. And people really believe this. You know, particularly, they're, they're appealing to white America at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, because they're demonizing the blacks and Hispanics. Uh, mm -hmm. So they had white America in a frenzy about this shit. They were so uh, afraid, you know, of this new marijuana. What they didn't know because of the propaganda was that they were really just talking about hemp. Everybody knew about hemp because, like I said, the whole country was built on it. They knew about hemp. They knew it was good for clothing. They knew it was good for paper. They knew these things. But when this new term, marijuana, came on the scene, they didn't know it was the same plant. And that was intentional. Yeah. But that's going to be going on a whole other a whole other thing. You got, yeah, got me yeah. off of hempcrete. <laughs> no, it's okay, man. I mean, I think that's just part of the education aspect because I think there's a lot of people out there that don't know all this. You know, they for sure. It's kind of just back to the idea of having this distrust of people that put out information. You mm -hmm. know, that's the information that's given, and people will just take it. You know, they'll take it and they run with it. Like, well, that's what they're saying. That must be true. You know, mm -hmm. it's until you take the time to read and learn and all about the, about what truly happened and what true information is out there that you change your mind and you actually your eyes are open in a sense for right? sure right, but yeah going back to hempcrete uh, mm -hmm. so I've heard also that it's lighter than regular concrete right like oh yeah so it's much lighter and it's interesting that I mean you mentioned that uh, I mean why wouldn't we make more buildings that absorb more CO2 out of the environment if that's really a concern you know which is a valid concern nowadays is you know how much are we polluting the environment how much CO2 we put in the air I mean if we have plants that absorb more CO2 buildings that actually take in CO2 I mean mm -hmm. it, it seems Makes like sense. common sense right but it's obviously not well up until 2018 yeah. it was illegal to grow hemp here in the United States yeah that was a farm bill Right, yeah, that passed. Mm -hmm. And I mean, really, it started in 2014. We had a farm bill that launched a hemp pilot program, but it was still a controlled substance. It was still controlled one substance the way marijuana is right now. But mm -hmm. 2018 farm bill took that a step further and completely removed any part of the cannabis plant that tests under 0.3% Delta 9 THC in the eyes of the government and is now considered industrial hemp and we can cultivate it here. And that's why you've seen the boom of CBD products and CBD in general, as well as other cannabinoids. But um, up until that point, if you were growing hemp for fiber, for clothing, or for hempcrete, which is genetically different than marijuana, type uh, cannabis plants, um, you would be treated like a drug dealer, like a marijuana cartel, um, like gang member in the DEA would come in and eradicate your hemp and arrest you and, and basically charge you as if you were trafficking marijuana, even though the types of cannabis you were growing uh, didn't have any or very little THC and you were growing it for industrial purposes. So we could not grow it up until 2018 yeah. and um that's why there's been this new spur of opportunity that's why i launched my hemp company actually before the 2018 farm bill but shortly uh, after it passed and then uh shortly after started planting famous juice and hempcrete uh you know juice bars because that had always been a vision of mine um you know since 2011 i was already starting to make basically business plans around hemp products but the supply chain was non-existent sure. uh, because it was illegal yeah. um, so i wanted to launch an apparel company in 2016 2017 that was made out of hemp but i couldn't because it was virtually impossible to source hemp clothing here uh, there was some but it was very expensive it didn't fit very good and to this day it's still very limited um but that's kind of like a little bit of the background of like why there's been this explosion why the timing of everything that i'm doing and so now we've built the first hempcrete building in san antonio mm -hmm. and that's going to be our first location that was my next question if that's the only building in san antonio as of right now that is uh, made of hempcrete or if it's the only the first like juicery that's made of hempcrete but it's it's the first building as far as i know it's the only building wow that's yeah, awesome built yeah. out of hemp here in uh, san antonio kudos man <laughs> yeah thanks bro it's and that's that's kind of like I never really intended to like, I'm going to be the first to do CBD joints. I'm going to be the first to do the hempcrete juice bar. I mean, later there was like, I realized that that's what we're doing. But the reason why I became the first was I just happened to find myself ahead of this trend. Mm -hmm. um, many years ahead, you know, I've been planning all of the things that are coming to fruition now 
for four or five years now, I've had the intention and I've been creating my plans around them, um, but I've had to wait for laws to change. I've had to wait for society to change. I've had to wait for people to, for the awareness and education to spread. And that's what I started with is just an Instagram account. I didn't have any products or anything. It was called MJ's. And I would just spread awareness about this is hemp and it's also cannabis. Mm-hmm. This is also cannabis, and this is this hoodie I'm wearing is hemp, and this hat is hemp, and this is hemp plastic, and this is hemp paper, and just teaching people because part of it is they don't even know that, mm-hmm. that these products exist and these alternatives exist, and then the second part of it is like, well, now we know they exist, but why would we want to put our money behind them, when, especially now when they're more expensive, just at the moment, mm-hmm. until we're cultivating more here locally. Yeah. Uh, do you see that happening in the next couple of years? Like, I, obviously, there's where your the Hemp Creek Juicery is. It's part of a bigger encampment, right? Like Santa mm-hmm. Cana is where they're actually creating, or they have a little farm or grow operation, right? For sure, yeah. Santa Cana is a vertically integrated uh, hemp operation, which is a term in the cannabis industry that just means that they control from seed, they grow the plant, all the way to extraction to end product. Um, and so they'll be growing our greens that will be juicing in the juice bar. And then they also grow CBD type, uh, which CBD type um, hemp plants are really just low THC marijuana. Mm-hmm. And what when I say that, I, I, I'm, what I mean is because, yes, our government classifies anything less than 0.3% uh, Delta 9 THC as hemp. Um, but those types of plants look and grow basically identical to marijuana mm-hmm. like if i had a if i had a cbd plant growing here you would just think it was a marijuana plant mm-hmm. uh, but if i was growing a true industrial type genetics plant um you would still kind of be like this kind of looks like weed but it also doesn't mm-hmm. and the reason is because it'd be 15 to 16 feet tall it'd look more like bamboo wow. um except there'd be marijuana looking leaves coming off of it versus cbd and marijuana plants they grow short and bushy and they've got all these nugs coming off of them, right? That, yeah. that is the buds that we smoke. Um, versus the the true industrial types, they produce very little buds, if usually none, because what they're producing is a heavy stock, because that stock is where we get the fibers for clothing and textiles, and then the inner part is where the the hemp um, crete, uh, the hemp, the inner woody core for hemp crete comes from, and then at the top it'll produce um, seed sacks. And the seed sacks is where hemp protein comes from, hemp seed oil, um, mm-hmm. and hemp hearts. And then the hemp seed oil has a whole another world of, of things. From yeah. there, it can go down the route of being coming fuel and uh, fueling diesel engines. People don't know that Henry Ford built the Model T to run off of hemp biofuel. Wow. Rudolph Diesel built the diesel engine to run off of vegetable, bio- vegetable biofuels, and hemp was one of his preferred oils to run it off of. So these guys, these visionaries, they intended to make the automobile industry sustainable from the get-go um, using plant-based fuels, but they were unable to because of what then happened with prohibition. Wow. And so the seed can be that or it can go down a different processing track and become a seed for or seed oil for human consumption and it's rich in omega-3 6 and 9 um, the seed is one of the highest quality proteins you can eat that's what i eat on the daily mm-hmm. so there's just so much dude it's it's like no it obviously <laughs> sounds like it man like you, like you said we could go on for hours just talking about all this stuff yeah um let's switch over a little bit to the, to the juicery um so mm-hmm. I always, I personally have never had a lot of experience with juicing. I think mm-hmm. maybe a lot of people haven't, especially in San Antonio. I feel like just the environment just really hasn't really cultivated it. But what brought your attention to that? You know, what benefits have you seen from it, and how, how did you even get there? For sure. So when I graduated high school, I started um, really heavy uh, like bodybuilding and weight training um, because I played football for 10 years. That's what was familiar with me um, with the fitness industry. But I've also been like a tumbler. I've done flips and I was a cheerleader when I was 13. And, um, you know, I'm a ninja now. I competed in American Ninja Warrior in 2017 and in other smaller competitions. But at that time, I was going very heavy into weight training, weightlifting and uh, taking all kinds of supplements, eating all kinds of crap, um, you know, foods, processed foods, because I didn't know any better. Um, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but in San Antonio, we're, we're a foodie city. You know, it's all about mm-hmm. babaca and tacos and barbecue, and, like, that's what I was raised on. And mm-hmm. you're, you're not told when you're a kid 
especially back in the, you know the late 90s early 2000s especially then because even you know most people just didn't know but you're not told that this shit is not good for you for this sure. is not healthy it's yeah. not okay to eat breakfast tacos you know for breakfast and then babacoa for lunch and barbecue for dinner and doing that every day is not not going to be a good uh diet for for us you know um it's very oily um it's it's mostly plant of uh, animal-based proteins um not to mention just like all the fast food that's around like i think that's you go to every corner there's something all over the place whether there's a kfc or mcdonald's or whatever you know for sure that's part of the core problem that we're trying to address with the juice bars is that there is too many and it's too convenient um to eat unhealthy there's just way too many unhealthy options and so we want to at least be a healthy option next to the unhealthy options at least so Mm -hmm. um you know even if you're not vegan or vegetarian or fully plant-based or you're not all the way into fitness at least you have the option right they're like you know what i want to be healthier this week what what are the options because that's something i hear frequently i was born and raised here in san antonio as well and um it's getting to a point where people they're desiring being healthier but then they just don't know how or where or what to eat especially because most of what they do is eat out and there's really not a lot of healthy options to eat out at um really Mm -hmm. what you have to do is what i did the first year that i went plant-based which is i literally did not eat out for the first entire year because there was really nowhere i could or would eat because it actually wasn't healthy even places that are marketing themselves as healthy are not and it's unfortunate, but um, basically, I found myself in a bit of a health crisis where I had overtrained my nervous system, and all those those toxic foods kind of built up in my body. It was really a culmination of a bunch of different factors, you know, my shitty diet, um, taking all kinds of supplements and like hormone boosters and all kinds of bullshit that I really shouldn't have been taking, um, and then training really intensely and not giving my body any type of rest, not doing any type of um, stretching or mobility or warm-ups, um, and just just a toxic mindset in general. I was also um, just not the... the nicest dude i guess i could say <laughs> yeah um made to my friends i was but to other people and i just i was a bit of an asshole i was very self self-centered and um not really concerned about other people's feelings and i didn't care if i hurt other people's feelings um and all that kind of fed into it and basically i was having these muscle spasms and muscle twitches which is referred to as spasticity and uh tension headaches and insomnia and restless legs and then that led to like mild depression and anxiety and i couldn't work out or do anything active because if i did uh the the spasms and things would flare up and i went to five different doctors over the course of this was in 2013 um i went to some family practitioners i went to some general practitioners i went to a rheumatologist and neurologist and sports medicine doctors and they took a bunch of tests they thought it was autoimmune diseases they thought it was fibromyalgia they tried all these different tests and they're like all the tests are normal so we don't really know what's wrong with you we don't know what to tell you except to come back in three months and take more tests Mm -hmm. and so that was really the hardest thing about that whole experience was because you know you go to the doctors to the so-called experts and they're supposed to have a solution for you and they had nothing for me and the only thing that i did know at that time was that this has gotten worse it started as like a little tingle between my shoulder blades in the beginning of the year and by the end of the year it had spread basically through my entire body and had just progressed and so i didn't know if i was never going to be able to live the active fitness lifestyle that I loved. Um, I didn't know if this was gonna keep progressing and like leave me with some type of muscle dystrophy or some type of paralyzed, I didn't know, right? Your mind just starts thinking about worst case scenarios. Yeah, definitely. But uh, Especially when a doctor tells you, I don't know what this is. <laughs> that's the worst part. And yeah. then, you know, one of them, um, you know, it's, it's a whole nother thing, but our medical system's so just off track. But one of them's like, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, I don't really have any solutions for you, but uh, I'm going to prescribe you Xanax. See how that makes you feel. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you're just trying to numb me to the symptoms, and I'm not going to take this just because it's like literally a shot in the dark. And like, it was just, it was kind of crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, that was one of the weird, crazy things about that whole experience. And another one was um, I started to look into 
you know, alternative ways of healing and eating and holistic, uh, natural alternatives, um, which in San Antonio is, especially back then, now it's just little pockets of groups and things starting to get onto that. Um, but back then it was basically non-existent. There was no vegan or vegetarian restaurants back then yet. Um, and there was really nobody talking about or learning about holistic approaches to these different things. But started looking into it. I actually did take a nutrition class in, in college at uh, Alamo um, Colleges at Lakeview. And that kind of opened my eyes uh, when she, the, the teacher exposed us to um, like factory farming and where the, the animal products and animal meats for um, like fast food, like McDonald's and Burger King and things like that, it, it, she exposed like where those um, products come from. And it was super eye-opening because I'd never seen that before. Uh, and basically, it's like it's not it's not very good. It's not very yeah. good from a health standpoint. It's not very good from an environmental standpoint. It's not very good from just a compassionate standpoint. The way they treat the animals. Sure. And uh, that was enlightening. And so at that point, that was kind of my first step where I was just like, okay, I'm not eating fast food anymore at all. I was still, um, you know, I was not plant-based yet, but. Um, once I kind of started to learn more about these different things, then I was like, you know what? This this stuff, like nutrition, plant-based, and these alternative things, it, it seems like it has a major impact on your health, what you eat, which makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. That, that your diet would have an impact on yeah. how you feel and your hormones and all the different things. And then I started to think, you know what? I went to these five doctors, and not a single one of them asked me what my diet was like. They wow. didn't ask me, do you drink soda? They didn't ask me, how much water do you drink? They didn't ask me, um, how much fast food? They didn't ask me a single question about what I'm eating on the daily. I could have been just like guzzling down soda and fast food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and me just cutting that out and drinking water may have solved my issue, but the doctors weren't, that wasn't within their realm of, yeah. of uh, solutions, sure. you know, or even to consider. Wow. Which, which even when I started to think back on that, I'm like, wow, that's how disconnected our medical system is because that, you know, people will completely change the way they feel if they just drink water, cut out soda and drink water instead and cut out fast food. Mm-hmm. That's like people will come to me asking for advice to, you know, to live healthier. And I'm like, yo, keep it simple, especially in the beginning. Just cut out those first two things. Do that for a month. Come back to me and tell you how you feel. Sure. Usually if people actually stick to that, they feel a lot better. Yeah. Because that shit is loaded with chemicals and it's processed foods and your body needs water. It's mind blowing how much, um, you know, people don't drink water and instead drink sugary beverages. So I started to do things like that. Then I discovered juicing through a documentary called Fat Sick and Nearly Dead. And basically it just follows this guy, Joe Cross, as he has um, he has an autoimmune disease, he has type 2 diabetes, and he's on like six or seven medications. And he's just, he was in a similar uh, situation to me where the doctors weren't being helpful. None of the medications were really helping solve his issues. And so I felt some similarity, you know, he was a bit more of a severe situation, but I, I could identify with that kind of helpless um Situation where you're just no outlook, like really no place to go. Yeah, Yeah. you're you're desperate. You're willing to try anything. You know, and I actually bought CBD oil back then, off of off of it was illegal in in that time. It was not legal yet, and it was in 2013. So I had to go onto an online black market and buy CBD oil um, illegally, and because I was aware of the benefits back then, and it did help a little bit, but it was not the main solution. so when I was exposed to seeing Joe Cross reverse his type 2 diabetes and get off of his medications and um, reverse his autoimmune disease through drinking green juices for 60 days, uh, which is just 100% fruits and vegetables, that's you watch him you know, make them. I'm like, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it's fruits and vegetables in a liquefied form, so it's very easy for your body to absorb. Plus you get a very high concentration of micronutrients through that juice. Like... I'm gonna try this. What do I have to lose? Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah, like I've tried point, all this right? other yeah. stuff. You know, I had tried um, muscle relaxers, the CBD oil. I tried massage therapy, electric therapy, um, physical therapy, ice baths, um, sauna therapy. Just like literally everything. I could yeah. do my acupuncture. Like, you know, and I started getting into yoga and meditation, which actually was a part of it. Um, part of you know helping me change my my health. Um, but 
I did a three-day juice fast and the symptoms basically cut in half, which was significant because nothing, none of the things I just said had reduced the symptoms that much, especially like all of the symptoms. Like sometimes like the muscle relaxers might help with like, you know, my muscle spasms, but then it wouldn't help with like me sleeping or the other, you know, things that I would have like the tension headaches. Um, and then you know, acupuncture would help for a couple of days, but then it's like all tense back up. Same thing with the massage. So when I did the juice cleanse, um, the twitches stopped, my headache stopped, I had more mental clarity and I was like, okay, maybe there's something to this. Um, let me try a seven day juice fast. So about a week later, this is all like November, December of 2013. I did a seven day juice cleanse and in the seven days, it was completely gone. Everything, all the symptoms I had been experiencing for basically a year straight um, without, you know, letting up were gone. Wow. And I was like, I feel amazing. Like I had, my energy was through the roof. I had mental clarity because part of what I was experiencing was brain fog as well, where I just couldn't think or prioritize straight. Um, and I was able to think very clearly and very articulate and I was like I feel amazing and then I, it, I realized I've never felt this amazing before even when I thought I was healthy mm -hmm. you know and I realized in that moment that this is what health feels like and if you've never nourished your body before you don't know what health feels like and you think you're healthy but you've never like nourish your body with non-processed foods and just fruits and vegetables if you've never done that and just drink water and not sodas and things like that um you don't know what health feels like you don't know what the optimal version of yourself feels like but then i had felt that and there was no way i could go back and yeah. so i was like okay if i want to live uh without all those symptoms and then i want to feel this amazing on the daily this is going to have to be something i do every day and so I decided January 1st, 2014, that I was going to do a 21-day juice fast. And then uh, every day I also did yoga and meditation with positive affirmations. Because a, a, a part of the, this journey was also that I was becoming, my, my self-talk was becoming very negative, which was part of the depression. Because I was in a negative physical situation. Um, basically, I had hit rock bottom in that year. You know, my health was not in a good place. I just got out of a, um, a relationship that I thought was like the girl of my dreams, you know, that was the one and that ended. And then my relationship with my parents was kind of rocky at the time because I had came out and told them that I smoke cannabis and I'm not gonna stop because I learned the truth about it and there's no good reason why I should stop besides that it's illegal, which to me is not a good reason. Um, and so then that relationship was rocky and I was living with them, but then I had to move out and purchase a mobile home. I was 19. So that was also another form of stress. And then at the, towards the end of that year, I got arrested for possession of marijuana. I had a felony uh, case that I was going through. And so I was kind of in rock bottom, but I started to see kind of this light in, in my life, you know? Um, and so the affirmations helped me get out of these negative thought cycles because I kept ruminating on all the negative things happening in my life. And then I started to um, just have a negative self-talk. A lot of people do. I think yeah. it's unfortunate that that the majority of people's self-talk is negative more so than it is positive. And so I was actively trying to change my self-talk to build me up and be positive as opposed to tear me down and, and be negative. And uh, that was part of that 21 days. Those 21 days completely transformed me. Like mentally, physically, spiritually, I became a different person. People wouldn't even recognize me in public, both physically and energetically, if that makes sense. They'd be like, dude, like you have a different vibe about you. Like yeah. you're, you're different. And I'm like, I know, it's intentional. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to be different. Uh, and I'm trying to live a lifestyle of love. Mm -hmm. as opposed to a lifestyle of not not necessarily hate but just i wasn't actively living a lifestyle of love i was living a lifestyle of selfishness and um like i mentioned earlier like i didn't care if i hurt people but now i was trying to be much more um sympathetic and and uh have more empathy for people's situations and that changes things you know that really changes the way you live and your decisions and that was a big part of my healing Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got into juicing. It's a long, kind of a long story, but... No, no, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And then I had never had the intention of starting the juice company. Um, that experience happened and I shared it on Facebook and people started calling me and texting me and messaging me and hitting me up on Facebook and uh, just asking like, 
we want we want what you have like have like your health and your vitality and your the glow in your face and skin and energy like we want this mm-hmm. what are you doing yeah. how do we do this yeah and because like you mentioned too earlier is like it's not a big thing in san antonio it's not healthy living and juicing and back then there was one juice company and they're still around it's revolution and they make oh, yeah. they're great um you know i'm actually in um a mentorship program called break fast and launch and manny the founder of revolutions one of the mentors in there um but anyways he was the first on the scene here because he brought the concept from california mm-hmm. i brought it here and um i was just starting selling mason mason jars of juice to my friends and family because i realized that these people want this but they don't want to do the work of buying the produce finding recipes splitting it up juicing it up um cleaning it up bottling it all the prep work they don't mm-hmm. want to do all that which is understandable because it's a lot yeah <laughs> but i was already doing it every day so i was like okay i've always been entrepreneurial minded since fifth grade um we had a fifth grade market day where we learned how to calculate a profit and then ever since then it just clicked in my head like i'm always looking for ways to make profit yeah and that was kind of the start of my entrepreneurial mind and so i was always doing things and then in that moment i was like oh wow like i can help people get help them get healthier and educate them while just doing what i'm already doing every day and at the same time i can make a profit because i did some calculations and i'm like okay yeah i could sell these things for and and make a margin Mm -hmm. and it's something people are willing to pay for and so that's how i started i had 29 dollars in my wallet I made a YouTube video, and uh, I started making juice for my friends and family, and that was how it started. I was in, you know, my parents' kitchen in February 2014. That's awesome, dude. That's very cool. It's it's quite the journey, for sure. Uh, you mentioned that uh, for a moment there, I guess when you came out and you were talking about your cannabis use to your parents, that it was it was a bit of an issue, you know. And I, I could obviously see that, you know, with mm-hmm. anyone. I think that's a big step to take, you know, uh, just in your personal life. But I think. You know, it's obviously giving you a certain direction. But how how is that now? Like now that they've seen what you've done with it, the education that you're there to offer, like is have their perception of that changed? For sure. Bit? Oh yeah, man. It's, yeah. it's like night and day. Yeah. You know, back then that conversation that I was referring to, um, you know, my mom was crying. My dad's like, you know, you're gonna have to get out of here. Like yeah. it was so dramatic, you know, when I think back to it. And now, like, you know, this weekend we were in Canyon Lake for spring break with the family, and I was smoking a joint in front of them. I smoked, you know, joints in front of them, mm-hmm. and it's not a big deal. And and they're just, they know what I do. You know, I make, literally, I make joints for a living. That's, you know, my business, and we make juice. And uh, it was back then in 2011, I told them about everything I just told you about. I told them about hemp cream and hemp paper and hemp plastic and hemp apparel, and I explained to them the history, and I explained how this is really why it's illegal. But, of course... They, you know, I'm 18, I was 19 at the time, so I just sound crazy, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's everything the opposite of what they've been, had decades of propaganda, you know, telling them that it makes you lazy and kills your brain cells, all the, all the bullshit, you know, um, so they thought I was just misinformed when really they were misinformed, Mm -hmm. um, and they didn't believe me and they didn't care whether it was true or not anyways, they just knew that I was doing something illegal. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was tough. But over the years, everything I told them has just come to fruition, both in my my life, but also in society. Now they're seeing it on the news. Now they're seeing people talk about industrial hemp. Now they're seeing, you know, Texas flourish. And obviously, I have my business, and I'm very open with them about it. And they see it all. And they're yeah. very supportive now. Um, yeah, and I can go to Valero, and they're looking like CBD products at the corner of yeah. where you pay. Yeah. Don't buy them from there, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know for sure. Yeah. Um, it just goes to show like the way that the perception has changed on it and where it has so a presence much. in society. Yeah, so much. But it was definitely a, a point of contention between me and my, my parents. Yeah. Um, no, it's, very, it's very good stuff, man. Uh, so right now with the Hemp Creek Juicery, is that already complete? Is it still, what's the anticipated time frame? Do you think that'll be, you know, an operation? Yeah, so looking like about another month. We were hoping to be open in March. Mm-hmm. Um, the building is basically 95% complete. Um, the last, basically, step that needs to happen is it has to get plastered. Um, okay. But before we can plaster it, we're going through the, the permitting process where we have to get... <laughs> The, sorry, I had a hiccup. Oh, you good? 
All right, um, we have to get the, uh, you know, the building permits, the electrical permits, the plumbing permits in order to get um, a certificate of occupancy to legally open the business. And so uh, that whole process is anywhere between like three to six weeks, depending on the inspectors and the city and all these different things. So that's the process we're going through now. And then in the meantime, we're purchasing the equipment we need, like the refrigerators and the sinks and all that stuff. So we're hoping, um, I'm hoping by 420, we can have a grand opening on 420 would be great. Yeah, um, very appropriate. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's that's the stage that it's at right now. It's basically complete. We've, you know, we've packed in the walls, we've packed in the floor, the ceiling. Um, it's a finished structure. People, you know, I give tours of it now. People come out because they want to see, you know, it's like, well, this is, this is cannabis. Yeah. Do you see in the future, uh, like, can it be used for homes? Like, could you make a 100%. Home? Yeah. yeah. So the, the guy, uh, his name is Ray Catterley, who I've contracted to build it. Um, he's actually about to start a three bedroom, three bath hempcrete home on the west side here in san antonio wow and that's his his main focus is building sustainable affordable housing mm -hmm. uh and i intend uh you know my family's house you know when we buy a home like we're not going to just buy a regular home we're going to build a hempcrete home that's the plan and it, it's been the plan since 2011 yeah no i mean that sounds awesome i feel like it just it seems like it's one of the most it makes sense to build in the home especially if you want to save energy in this point in time where in society it feels like we don't want to use as much energy you don't want to conserve as much as we can why not yeah right. it and because of the re reduction of energy needed to keep the home you know uh, warm and cool depending on the the season which is the biggest energy consumption in homes mm -hmm. is the heating and cooling um because of that significant reduction because of the the sustain or the um the thermal properties it makes it a lot more viable to get your energy from solar or or you know sustainable uh energy sources because you need less of it and part of the problem let's say with solar is you may not be able to produce produce enough for your entire home but let's say you cut the amount of energy you need in half by having a hempcrete structure well now it's a lot more viable that you can produce enough with solar uh and, and in some cases excess and that's really a dream of mine is to i have a lot of hemp companies in mind mm -hmm. uh, but one of them is uh, a hemp um like home building company that manufactures hemp houses that bring you a paycheck instead of a bill every month because you're producing and selling the excess electricity um yeah. and, and you can either my my vision with that is you can either sell it back to the electric companies and get a check or you can donate it to you know somewhere in the city or nearby that, that needs electricity uh, and mind-blowing dude right mind -blowing. And, but it's yeah. it's at in the beginning i used to call it my crazy dream um i got a lot of crazy dreams but i used to call <laughs> that one my crazy dream because when i say it that way you know building homes that bring you a paycheck instead of a bill every month that sounds completely implausible but when you start to really break it down it's completely possible if you reduce your electricity bill by 50 percent you put solar panels and um you know other you even put a small wind turbine like it makes it viable at the very least pays your taxes or something you know you don't have to pay any taxes in your home or something like that for sure yeah yeah there's rebates and things but but yeah that's a goal of mine yeah that's uh I'm hoping that it happens, brother, and as soon as it does, I'm get, get your number and be like, hey, can I get one of those houses? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll start with the, the hempcrete. You yeah, know, we'll juice see how we're that gonna, goes. We're yeah. going to put solar panels on it as well. I heard that even as, like, I guess the hempcrete ages, it almost, like, fossilizes, right? So it essentially, now it's, like, pest-free. You, you don't have to worry about animals mm -hmm. eating up your walls and, you know? Yeah, so it's, it, pests don't want them, they they're not interested in it. So, yeah. like, termites, you don't have to worry about termites because they don't, they don't like to eat it. They're not attracted to it, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it does over time. That's just amazing, man. Over time, the wall is actually increasing in density. So there's hemp structures, um, you know, that where they're like, um, what do they call them? Kind of like remodeled old architecture buildings where they've used hemp, and um, they're like 60 years old, and the hemp parts of it are are still intact while the other parts are falling apart. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it gets harder over time. And part of that is because of what I was talking about, the CO2 uh, sequestering. As it's absorbing that CO2, um, it's it's getting harder at the same time. So it's like in that process, it also, it, what it is is it's a lime. The lime inside of it is absorbing that CO2. And the more CO2 absorbs, the harder it gets. And so over time, it's continuing over the life of the wall to absorb, and it's also continuing to get more um, dense and stronger. 
which is really interesting because typically it's the opposite, right? Like yeah. wood, over time, it just decays over time versus the hemp gets stronger over time. I imagine at some point, like, it does it come to a point where it stops? Like, it gets to its I'm most sure. solid point, I'm sure, right? Like, yeah. at some point. I'm sure it does, but it's like um, 80 or 100 years, you yeah. know? So it's like you have a building for 80 or 100 years, which most buildings don't last that long. Like it's not viable anymore. It's just a stronger building, right? They demolish them usually. They're traditional buildings, right? Yeah. Um, Versus a hemp. It can stay, you know, standing and going. Or if it gets demolished, you can actually compost the entire thing because it's just wood and hemp and lime and water. And right now when there's demos, um, all of it goes to the landfill. All of it. Even though there are, you know, peop- there there could be somebody that goes through the wreckage and like Pulls gets the, the metal and gets and the, the yeah. copper and set, but nobody does that. Instead, they just throw it all into the landfill. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even realize they do that. It's crazy. Yeah, entire buildings. You know, wow. not a single bit of those buildings get recycled. Man, <laughs> sad. It's crazy. There's <laughs> better alternatives. Yeah. Um, at this point where you're where you're at with the business, do you still uh, get pushback? Like with what you're doing, as far as it in terms that it's it's cannabis and it, it's gonna, it's obviously a first step. I feel like even though it's not a legalized substance, at some point I feel like we might get there. You know, just with the way society is looking at it and the way that it seems a viable option. Do you get pushback from people? Are there people that are concerned about it still? No, mostly support. That's um, good. Yeah, mostly support. Not much pushback. I think at this point, because of how how much momentum the entire movement has. Um, the naysayers, they're just quiet at this point. They're not vocal about it, but they're also not supportive. Yeah. Um, and every now and then you might get somebody that has a negative uh, mindset around marijuana. Mm-hmm. But because I'm talking about hemp and building with it and wearing it and paper and drinking the juices, they they don't associate, which is good because that was the first step, they don't associate the same stigma with that side of the plant. Sure. So even though I might have somebody who's not who's not for marijuana, um, they'll be supportive of hemp, and that's that's kind of the majority of people at this time. And for me, it's actually a technique to disarm those people, because there are others that are you know stigmatized or have a negative look on on marijuana and marijuana users, um, but then they don't even know about everything that I just talked about on the hemp side. So whenever I shift their attention to that. Uh, it helps kind of disarm them and bring their guard down and they start to kind of think like, oh, you know what? Maybe there's more to this plant than I thought. I thought it was just about getting high. Mm-hmm. And now I know that there's all these other uses. And then we can go back to talking about marijuana and I can explain um, why it's not bad and why it's actually very good and mm-hmm. um, all the different things about the cannabinoid side, which you know I'm, I'm a proponent of and I advocate for and I support as well. I just like to focus on the industrial side because not very many people are talking about it. Not very many people are launching businesses and product lines on it. Uh, and marijuana is very sexy and attractive with its new legalization in the other states and its traction that it's getting. It's very um, attractive, you know, um, and it's just, it's a shinier part of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, for instance, I speak at, you know, events and I do panels and stuff like that, whenever I'm on a panel with other speakers, I'm the one guy talking about the industrial side. And that's what I see as my role because the other three or four panelists, they're going to talk about the benefits of CBD or uh, the next new cannabinoid or the next cannabinoid product, you mm-hmm. know, the another way to get a better dosage or whatever it is which is all great too but who's mm-hmm. talking about paper who's talking about plastic who's talking about hempcrete building who's talking about um cannabis as a nutrient dense leafy green for salads and uh juices and smoothies and things like that mm-hmm. nobody is is being the voice for that side of the plant and so that's where i come in well, that's awesome dude it's it's cool you found yourself a role there and i think that's definitely going to be what keeps the momentum going is that like you said there's not many people that have that stance you know mm-hmm. most of the people that are in business right now concerning hemp is you know it's all cbd you see cbd this cbg whatever there's like i said that there's how many there's like 150 different there's about like 80 a, or 90 cannabinoids yeah um insignificant amounts there's maybe a hundred and in, in like a few other ones in insignificant amounts and, yeah. then, and then you have about three or four hundred terpenes and that's how you have the variation in strains because mm-hmm. you have varying levels of cannabinoids and varying levels of terpenes which creates a unique um, benefit which is why certain strains are good for certain things and also why 
um, cannabis has such widespread uses um, because it interacts with a system in your body called the endocannabinoid system. Yeah, like your body has a system to absorb all these mm-hmm. cannabinoids and things like that, right? Like for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's it's fairly new, and unfortunately, it's still not in our medical books and our biology books, and it's starting to get make its way into it. But um, you know, just like you learn in anatomy or biology class, which I'm actually a science major. I majored in um, biology and nutrition when I went to San Antonio College, and I have an associate's degree in science, and I, I love biology and anatomy. Um, But a lot of people don't realize that just like you have a nervous system and an endocrine system and a skeletal system, you have a system called the endocannabinoid system that was discovered in the late 80s and shortly after or before or after around the same time, THC and CBD were discovered or they were discovered first and then the system was discovered around Mm -hmm. the same time because it was like hand in hand. It was discovered by an Israeli doctor named Dr. Raphael Meshulam. Uh, people in the industry refer to him as like the godfather or the pot father. <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah. Um, but the system is composed of um, neural receptors called CB1 and CB2 receptors and your body actually produces cannabinoids. Uh, they're called endocannabinoids and in biology the, the prefix endo means within because those are cannabinoids that your body produces within. And then the cannabinoids that are in the plant, the the cannabis plant, are referred to as phytocannabinoids. Uh, So those are the two um, main two types of cannabinoids. But then you also have a third type, which is called synthetic cannabinoids, which are cannabinoids created in a lab. And uh, so you have two main types of endocannabinoids produced within your body called anandamide and 2-AG. And they're... um, like role is to connect and bind with the CB1 and CB2 receptors. And then once your endocannabinoid system becomes active through those uh, molecules, it brings balance to the rest of your systems. So everybody's familiar with this, you know, term homeostasis. When you go to uh, school, when you go to biology class, one of the main things you start to learn about is um, biological uh, cells and um, you know, systems, they're, they're seeking to produce homeostasis, which is just a scientific term for balance. Mm-hmm. It's looking to create a balance. And the main system that does that is the endocannabinoid system. That's primarily how your body is creating homeostasis. So if your endocrine system is doing something crazy with your hormones, you can supplement cannabinoids because maybe your body's not producing enough or maybe you just need some more. You can either do a tincture or smoke even, um, and then it'll help boost up your your endocannabinoid system which will help then regulate your endocrine system which will help bring some balance to your system and it's because the cb1 and cb2 receptors they exist in every major organ they exist in your brain and your gut and throughout your body and even in in some of your blood cells and because they exist throughout your entire body this is why cannabis has such widespread um, uses from a medicinal standpoint where it can be used something for something as minor as like headaches all the way to something as serious and chronic as cancer mm-hmm. and uh, you know for a long time doctors struggled with like well how can this plant have so many benefits from something so chronic to something so acute and it's because um, you have the system you know and it doesn't matter how big or small the problem is that system is seeking to bring balance yeah very very crazy crazy stuff man like yeah that, like, like you said earlier you could go on and on forever i feel like you see you seem like a plethora of information brother uh, it's been 10 years i've been studying the plant and every week i'm still learning more about it because yeah. there's just so much to it yeah well man i think we're at about an hour now i think uh i we definitely learned a lot about what you're doing brother and i definitely hope the best for you i did see that you posted you're going to be part of a you're going to be pitching at a cannabis uh, like a what is it called like a it's a hemp expo. A hemp expo. Hemp expo. There yeah, you go. it's called uh, NoCo. Um, it's probably the biggest and uh, oldest and most popular industrial hemp focused expo. Uh, happens in Denver. I think it's their eighth or ninth one. And I don't know if they've done this before, but this year they're doing a hemp pitch. And so you know they put it out, and you can you basically just apply, and then they pick finalist and we got selected to be one of six companies to pitch there live at the event so next week we'll be in aurora colorado to pitch at uh, the northern colorado hemp expo 
the the juice company because I'm in a capital raise. So um, if there's any investors listening or people that might be interested in investing in the first raw cannabis juice bar, um, reach out to me or go to my website, www.famousjuicecompany.com. There's an investors tab there um, that you can get in contact with us and then uh, we can talk about the, the opportunity because the plan here, the vision, is to build 30 drive-through hempcrete locations in Texas from San Antonio up to Dallas and Houston. Wow, it's all along like the highway. Along the highway, yeah. yeah. Uh, because, like I mentioned earlier, there's just no healthy options, right? Um, or there's very little healthy options. And in particular, there's no healthy options when you're driving between major cities in Texas. So if you're on a road trip from San Antonio to Dallas, there's nothing healthy to get until you get to Austin. And then once you leave Austin, there's nothing healthy to get until you get to Dallas. And that's a major problem. Um, because there's plenty of fast food places to get you oh, know, up and down the highway. Yeah. So my goal is to put uh, up and down 35 next to those um, busy intersections where there's all those fast food options to put a juice bar. That way when you're traveling, at least there's an option for you. And then there are people like myself uh, that either plant-based, vegetarian, vegan, or just trying to live healthier. Or now it's like I'm traveling and now I can get something healthy, whether it's a smoothie or a bowl or a salad or a juice or some snacks. Um, and then, So you um, plan to have that as well as a part of the juice? Is maybe like some other small eatable things? Like for sure. Salad, yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll have like energy balls and we'll have some salads and um our main focus will be juice smoothies and bowls Mm -hmm. um but we will have a few other like food snacks and eventually we may expand actually like like a restaurant um but that'll be later down the road fair enough staying focused where is the uh hemp creek juice bar located yeah so it's over off of a bulverde road uh near 1604 and bulverde okay Uh, so it's a northeast side of town and that's where i grew up and i went to high school over there at madison high school just down the road Yep. Right on. And if anyone wants to buy MJ's products, where can they buy those? Uh, www.mjs.com is where you can order. Um, we have uh, CBD joints and five packs, two packs, and singles. And then also, if you follow us at MJ's Hemp on Instagram, you can see whenever we do pop up events and live events, and you can come out to those and uh, purchase in person as well. Right on. And if someone wanted to learn a bit, little bit more about what you're doing and listen to your podcast, what's uh, where, where would they listen to that? For sure. So you can follow my personal Instagram is at Eat Plants Move Often on Instagram, and then um, my podcast is also called Eat Plants Move Often, and you can find it on Spotify, Apple um, Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, and a couple other ones. I forget the other ones, but yeah. Right on. I definitely encourage any of my listeners that were intrigued by this conversation to check it out i listened to a few episodes of that myself and it just made me even more excited for this conversation Uh, we touched on a few of those things during the conversation but there's definitely more in-depth details to those stories uh, on the podcast so check those out Uh, amos thanks for giving me the time brother i'll let you get on with the rest of your day and uh i will send off man have a good one yeah thanks for having me brother thanks brother